Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with me as we continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. I wonder if you realize that the term Kingdom of God is at the very center of everything that Jesus taught. It's the heart of His Gospel, and therefore the heart of the Christian Gospel. I'm assuming that we understand that Jesus is the source of the gospel. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3 says that the gospel began to be preached by Jesus. Jesus, you see, did not just come to die for the sins of the world. He came to preach also the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus is a saving teacher. He's a rabbi, an instructor in the truth of the gospel. He's also, of course, the one who died to reconcile us to God. But Jesus is not a silent teacher dying on the cross. He's a preacher and teacher of the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is about as fundamental and basic to the Bible as the Constitution of America. From Genesis to Revelation, God has been operating a kingdom program. From the time that Adam and Eve sold out to the devil, voted for his government by believing his lies, from that time on, God has been engaged in a great restoration program. Act 3.21 says it beautifully. Peter had just performed an extraordinary miracle by enabling a man who'd been lame from birth to walk for the first time. And on the basis of the testimony of that extraordinary miracle, Peter then preached a sermon, the climax of which is found in Acts 3, verses 19 to 21. Repent, said Peter, and return to God, so that your sins may be wiped away and so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and so that he may send Jesus, the Messiah, appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Do you see there that Peter is concentrating on the future hope of the Christian? Heaven is to retain Jesus only temporarily. He's at the right hand of the Father until the times of refreshing come to the earth and Jesus returns to establish what Peter calls the restoration of all things. And it's a restoration which Peter doesn't need to explain further because it's been detailed by the prophets of the Old Testament. God, says Peter, has spoken about this time of restoration through the mouth of all the prophets from ancient times. In order, therefore, to understand the Christian gospel, it's essential to understand God's restoration program, which he declared through his chosen prophets in the Hebrew Bible, that 77% of our Bibles, which is often tragically neglected or ignored, it's impossible to understand Jesus' call for repentance and belief in the gospel of the kingdom. It's impossible to understand Peter's call for repentance in view of the great restoration of all things coming at the return of Jesus in the future, one cannot understand those cries and appeals for repentance and belief in the kingdom unless one knows what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom idea is central to the whole of Scripture. If there's a key to intelligent Bible study, it is this. Grasp the idea of the kingdom, God's restoration program. The kingdom of God is certainly not just something in your heart. It's entirely inadequate to quote certain isolated texts from the letters of Paul 
and to think that one has understood the kingdom of God. Paul certainly said that the kingdom of God is joy and love and peace in the Holy Spirit, but that's an exceptional saying about the kingdom. To understand the kingdom, we must begin with the Old Testament and we must continue with the teaching of Jesus. Only then will we be in a position rightly to evaluate what Paul has to say about the kingdom. The statement that the kingdom of God is love and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit is only part of what Paul said in regard to the kingdom. Let me remind you that Paul also said that no adulterer, no fornicator, no homosexual, no drunkard will have any entrance into the kingdom of God. He's not speaking about entrance into a state of joy and peace now. He's talking about entering the kingdom of God when Jesus returns. The primary meaning of the kingdom of God in the Bible is not something that's now at all. It's something lying in the future. Do you remember that Jesus said we're to pray as a first priority, Thy kingdom come. Well, Jesus was spreading joy and peace during his ministry, but the kingdom of God had not come. Do you remember that Jesus, at the beginning of his evangelistic campaign in Galilee, said, Repent, because the kingdom of God is at hand. That's to say, it's approaching, it's coming. He didn't say it had come. If he had meant that it had come, then his parable in Luke 19 would make no sense at all. Consider with me for a few moments the exceedingly important teaching of Jesus about the kingdom of God found in the 19th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Our question is here, has the kingdom of God come, according to Jesus, when he uttered this parable in the 19th chapter of Luke? And this was late in the ministry of Jesus. He'd been preaching the kingdom. He'd been sending others out to preach the kingdom. And Luke, the inspired writer, in Luke 19, verse 11, has this to tell us about the kingdom. Here are his inspired words. And while they were listening to these things, Jesus there had just said that he'd come to seek and to save what was lost. While they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable or a comparison, an illustrative story, because he was near to Jerusalem and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. Do you see there the implication of the term kingdom of God? The audience who had been listening to Jesus' teaching imagined that because Jesus was standing close to Jerusalem, they thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. Now, the point of that statement, of course, is that the kingdom of God had not yet appeared. The crowd thought it was going to appear for the first time late in the ministry of Jesus. That must prove to any unprejudiced reader that the kingdom of God was not something Jesus had been spreading in the hearts of the people. It was something external, geographical, and based on Jerusalem. Because Jesus, as the Messiah, was in the proximity of Jerusalem, which everyone knew had to be the capital of the kingdom, they reasonably asked the question, Jesus, since you're now in the vicinity of Jerusalem, is the kingdom of God going to come immediately? Now, notice carefully Jesus' response. Did he tell them, you're completely confused about the kingdom of God, it's nothing geographical, it's nothing to do with Jerusalem, it's simply the kingdom or the rule of God in your hearts? Did Jesus say anything of the sort? The answer is he plainly didn't. Here's how he responded to the inquiry of the people about whether the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. 
In verse 12, Jesus said, A certain nobleman, and he was referring to himself here in the parable, went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then to return. And then follows the story of how he gave various talents to different of his followers and how he expected those followers to work with their talents, how they were to use the gifts that God had given them in the service of the kingdom and the service of Christ. And then in verse 15 we read this, Now it came about that when Jesus returned, or the nobleman in the parable returned, after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that his slaves, to whom he'd given the money, be called to him in order that he might know what business they had done. And the first appeared and said, Master, the talent you gave me has made ten more talents. And he said to him, Well done, good slave, because you've been faithful in a very little thing, Take up your position in authority over ten cities. Did you notice there the reward of the faithful servant? He was to take charge of ten cities, and that was the equivalent of the arrival of the kingdom of God. In the parable, the nobleman disappeared to heaven. Jesus, of course, has done just that. He's now at the right hand of the Father. But when he comes back, it's then that he establishes the kingdom of God, and it's then that the establishment of the kingdom of God will mean the giving of authority to his faithful followers, authority over ten cities. From this we see that the kingdom of God has not only to do with Jerusalem as its capital, it has to do with the administration of cities. Now, the kingdom of God cannot therefore be just God's rule in your heart. In fact, the idea that it's the rule of God in your heart is backwards. It's not that the kingdom enters your heart, the truth is that you enter the kingdom when Jesus returns. Do you remember that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50, flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's to say, you in your present constitution, as a flesh and blood mortal human being, cannot enter the kingdom. It should be pretty plain then that you haven't entered the kingdom. Now, you can believe in the kingdom, you can receive the spirit of the kingdom as a down payment, as a first installment, as a pledge or guarantee of the ultimate gift that God will give you in the future, but you cannot possess the kingdom, you cannot inherit it until you enter it when Jesus returns. Flesh and blood, you as presently constituted, cannot enter the kingdom of God. It's only at the return of Jesus that people will enter the kingdom of God or be discarded from the kingdom, rejected from the kingdom. And so the parable in Luke chapter 19, verses 11 and following, is critically important if you're going to grasp the meaning of Jesus' central teaching about the kingdom of God. As the nobleman, he went to heaven to receive the authority to reign. As the nobleman, he returns to the earth, equipped with the power of the kingdom, and at that point he then calls his servants to him, and invites them to take up their positions as co-administrators over various cities in the kingdom. Now, that's exactly what Jesus promised his followers in many other passages of the Bible. In fact, when he said to the apostles, Fear not, little flock, it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, Luke 12, verse 32, what is meant there is that the kingdom is to be in the hands of his followers. They are to be the kings of the kingdom. If you want to know about the presence of the kingdom, it is simply this. The church is the kingdom of God in preparation. The 
Christians are the ones who are appointed to rule, but they're not yet ruling in the kingdom. They've not yet inherited the kingdom. No text in Scripture says that you've inherited the kingdom. The inheritance of the kingdom is always a promise for the future. It's the Christian hope. The Christian's hope is that he's going to help to fix the world when Jesus returns. That's the glory of the Christian hope. It's the hope which drives us on. It's the hope which enables us to suffer the trials and tribulations of this present life. Do you remember that Paul said that he reckoned that the sufferings of the present time are not to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed in the sons of God? When the sons of God are manifested, that will be the time of the inauguration of the kingdom of God. That will be the time when the sons of the kingdom, those destined for the kingdom, will shine forth like the sun in the kingdom of their father. As Jesus said in Matthew 13, verse 43, he then added these important words, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In Matthew chapter 25, and verse 31, Jesus said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, that's his second coming, of course, and all his angels with him, then he will sit on his throne of glory. And at that time, three verses later in verse 34, at that time the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Do you see that the inheritance of the kingdom is the great fact of the future? You cannot inherit the kingdom of God under present conditions. It's only by being immortalized at the resurrection that you can actually inherit the kingdom of God. We invite you to request from us our free book on the kingdom, also a tape of the program you've been listening to. Join us again for our continued discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.